Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. We're so glad to have you back on The Things We Say, and you are listening to us again. Yes. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And it feels like we've been away forever. Yes, it does. Like, this has been a good three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, yeah, because we did. We it hasn't been that we long recorded, for Yeah, we recorded two episodes, and so we didn't get, and then we had one where we just didn't do anything, and I forget exactly why. I think we were just both insanely busy at the time, and we were like, we needed a break. So we had to, we had to cut some content. Oh, no, it was because my wife was out of town, and that throws right. off the logistics right. as far as who's taking a, care of the kids. You're a parent. So I am that's a the parent. Thing. You're a parent. Yeah. Uh, not a parent, a parent. It was a parent that I needed to parent. Apparently, you needed a parent, yes. That's right. And one very significant thing has happened since the last time we were on the air, actually. It has. And what is that, Sheldon? <laughs> I'm a licensed minister yes. now. Yes. So... In in more than name and function, Sheldon yeah. is officially a pastor now. And my job has not changed one no, bit. <laughs> no, nothing has changed. All, except people are like, so what does that do? I'm like, I don't know. I always it's, we'll see. I always very crassly say I can now marry and bury him. That's that's <laughs> bury basically him, marry him and bury him. Baptize him, serve yes, communion. Yes. This is basically the things. Yes, that is true. Yeah. That is true. But yeah, so I'm super proud of that because I've had a hand in getting Sheldon on this track. And, he has. Uh, and I'm just freaking proud of him for that whole thing, yeah. for sure. So. I don't run around and tell everybody, so this is about as public as it gets. Yes, which I didn't um, ask him if I could do that, but I did it anyway. No, he so. didn't. Um, the, other, <laughs> the other night, I was trying to fall asleep, and I was trying to do our whole intro in my head, like see if I could play it all back in my head. Yeah. And kind of like like go through the whole thing and then i'm like how do we open that and like trying to get it all together yeah i fell asleep it was great (laughs) i might have to try that yeah it's good yeah sheldon and i both have a a chronic issue uh with sleeping when our wives are not with us and i i do better if i'm not in a familiar environment so if i'm on a trip and i'm in a hotel that's true i go to sleep fine because it's not it's not my but Every single weekend, my wife works two twelves on Saturday night and Sunday night. So I am without her two nights in a row every week of our lives. Um, Saturday night is the worst, which is terrible because I have to get up early and have a lot of things going on on Sunday. Well, I get up early anyway, but a lot of things going on on Sunday morning. Um, I've got my kids alone. And last night, I actually went to bed early. I was so excited. I, got in, I was in bed and falling asleep at 11 o'clock, which is huge for me <laughs> awesome. on a Saturday night. And then all of a sudden at 3 o'clock in the morning, my eyes pop open, and that was it. Right I was away. awake from 3 to 5.10, and I had to get up at 6. And so it was just a miserable, miserable night yeah. of sleep. I would rather lose sleep on the other end. I feel more rested if I can get like a solid three hours as opposed to a nap and then have to stay up. If I get hours. anything less than six hours of sleep, I'm like 
not worth being around. Yeah. I but, can I can subsist on one on occasion, one hour, which is what I feel like I got last night. My solution was to move to the couch. She was gone for a whole ah. week. So rather than being in, in the bed and it's just like I stared at the ceiling, it's like if I move to the couch, because when I had a really bad cold and I didn't want to keep her up with my coughing, I'd right. move to the couch and I slept like a baby out yeah. there because I wasn't worrying about yeah, keeping totally. her awake. And so I'm like, well, maybe if I move to the couch when she's gone. And that was actually a really smart idea. That's a good idea. I might have to start trying that. There on you go. Sunday life Saturday. tip. Yeah, that's good. It's not my 12 rules of life, but here we <laughs> no. go. No, it's not. Um, it's not. I actually had one opening segment. We were talking about denominations the other week for some odd reason. I think when Jared was on. Yes. We were talking about denominations. Yeah. My dad had a story of he was doing some flying in northwestern Ontario and actually He's flying up near the Hudson Bay. There, he, he was telling me he's about to take a trip into a town called Shmatawal. <laughs> and here's, here's, what, uh, here's how the denomination thing converged. Okay. So in this small town, the Anglican church burned for some reason. And so my dad, who is a Nazarene, was flying in a team of Mennonites to help rebuild the Anglican church. The, the project of which was being headed up by the Pentecostal pastor hmm. from that community that was in charge of the building projects. So and yeah. he was helping get all the teams in and, and get everything around. And so, yeah, you had a team of Mennonites rebuilding an Anglican church under the supervision of the Pentecostal pastor with uh, a Nazarene pilot to get everybody there. That is a wonderful sentence. It was I, amazing. I very much enjoyed that sentence. There you go. Yes, that's the way it should be. I'm all about that. The Pentecostal pastor's name is Pharaoh, which wow. is super cool. He's a native guy. Uh, and the one time my dad flew a Bible school team in there, and the guy that was leading the Bible school team was named Aaron. And so Aaron and Pharaoh were nice. working to bring VBS to all the that's hilarious. kids in the community. I've always said if I ever get a cat, I'd really like to name it Pharaoh. Mm. I feel like that, that suits. But I also don't feel like that's very original. I think I saw someone on Twitter that was naming their cats after despotic dictators. <laughs> like that's appropriate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pull pot. Yeah. I knew I knew a girl once who had a cat named Mr. Helen Keller. Ooh. Because when she first got it, she wanted to name it after somebody famous and that did great things. She thought, Oh, Helen Keller. And the problem is, is that about two or three weeks later she discovered that it was a male and not a female. So instead of changing the name, she just called him Mr. Helen Keller and or Mr. Helen. There you go. That was a beautiful thing. Buddy of mine named, uh, I can't do it. That's a my buddy story. Oh, but I want to I wanna know now. Nope. He na- wow, he named all his cats after airplane parts. So one was <laughs> Merlin for the Merlin engines. One uh, was DC-3, Dumb Cat the Third. Um, <laughs> they, one was Pratt. And they, he had two cats at one time. They were called Pratt and Whitney. Oh, <laughs> which is pretty solid. So, uh, what was the other one? Oh, there was there was dipstick, but I'm not sure how that one worked. That's still part dipstick. of the engine, something like that. <laughs> anyway, all right. I am looking up really quickly here a a story that I want to tell as part oh. of my twelve rules, just to make sure I get it right. Do you need me to uh, do something? Yeah, in riff, meantime? riff for me for just okay, a second. Okay, here we go. How many of you guys have heard about storming Area 51? This has been really exciting for me because I've been seeing it online and I'm like, I'm going to finally look up this Facebook page. It's pretty legit. September 20th, 
We're all going to meet up <laughs> at the Area 51 Alien Center tourist attraction and coordinate our entry. If we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. Let's see them aliens. <laughs> that's the whole thing. It's on Facebook, and there's 1.9 million people going. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, this is this is why America can't be stopped. I think a lot of people think that America is going to get toppled. We, If you can get 2 million people interested in charging <laughs> Area 51 to see them aliens. Yeah. We get united over very odd things. Oh, yeah. But it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Imagine if you tried to take away guns. Oh. <laughs> I, it's just one of those things where I know, no. well, there are going to be people that show up. Yeah. That's what that's what somebody was saying about this event. If you get 1% of 1.9 million, you have 190,000 yeah. people to deal with. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people to deal with. There is 14,000 people in a Facebook group where you're supposed to dress as the men in black and defend Area 51 <laughs> against the people that are running. That's even better. And I'm like those 14,000 people better be well-armed because if 1% of the 1.9 million show up... That's probably just an excuse for the actual men in black to be able to show up. How do you shoot 190,000 people? Oh, Somebody's getting through. That, yeah. that was the concept of D-Day, wasn't it? Essentially, yeah. Uh, volume. Yeah. Sheer volume. I, I was talking with somebody just a couple of days ago about the realities of technology, what we have available <laughs> versus what government actually has developed and what they are capable of. Yeah. And for the longest time, I would, would have been afraid of that. But now I'm much more afraid of companies like Google, what they have and what they're not right. regulated by or any, you know, there's no accountability. I mean, you can say there's no accountability in government. There's at least a little bit of accountability in government. There is none for these guys so, at, at these major tech companies right now. I, I am kind of paranoid about that stuff, but only in this regard. Yes. I feel like the giant tech companies have the ability to destroy an individual. They can track an individual. Yeah. They can dox an individual. Yes. They can take you out. They can ruin your life. They can even get you thrown in jail. Yes. And Just because they when, decide to. And, and when big tech coordinates with law enforcement, none of us are safe. Right. Like if they pinpoint you and they want you in jail, they're gonna, you are Roger they're Stone. They're going to figure it out. CNN's yeah. in front of your house. They take you to jail. Which nothing ever came from that, by the way, everyone. It was yeah. pure theatrics. But... He still got hauled off yep. in the mid-morning hours. An old man that 21 people storm his house, SWAT team or whatever. Who maybe they thought did something versus a guy like Jeffrey Epstein who nobody knew when he was getting arrested and got quietly walked out of his wherever he was. He had just got back in the country or something. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is big tech companies and the government together can destroy an individual. Yes. What we haven't seen, which I'm not sure what the capability is is to target a mass group of people yeah. and really take them on. Yeah. Because as soon as you try and target a large number of people, you have to put boots on the ground at some point. Mm -hmm. Unless you're able to separate out a geographical area. If you can separate a geographical area, you can target that area. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are worried that like a subset of the American population is going to get targeted by the long arm of the law in coordination with these tech companies. And I don't super fear that. Yeah. I, just because I don't think it's super practical and that we have enough government employees to dedicate yes. to that type <laughs> of task. Oh, man. 
Anyway, that's not why we're here. Oh, that was that's a weird segue. Yeah, that, that was, was like 18 weird. weird segues. But what we are here for is my shot at 12 Rules for Life. Hmm. And uh, just a disclaimer with these, once again, these are the things that I have discovered for my life. There may right. be some things that do not apply to yours. As a matter of fact, I guarantee there will be. Uh, there may be some things here that won't apply to me in five years. But for now, these are the 12 things that I feel like I've, I've solidly learned. And, and this is just, okay, you come up with your 12 rules yes. for life. So yes. if you were to do this, listener, if you were to do this at this moment, that's the kind of thing that we're going with. Right. It can be super serious. It can be, you know, kind of weird. Just max, what is that? Maxims? That yes. you would live by? Yes. Is that the right word? Yes, it is. I've read book. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so anyway, in, in keeping with Sheldon's, um, I feel like I have to do one that I that was going to make the list. and One I just, that got cut. Yeah, and, I, and yes. I cut it, but then I decided, you know what? And actually, my wife convinced me that I should do this and gave me some good reasons why I should. But when I was this in the middle... This is Kayla's role for life. Yes. Right? No, it's, it's, it was, it's mine. It's mine. Um, but... I was, I was talking to her at one point and telling her about some dating advice that I got from a, a friend of mine. Uh, and we were out on a lake. We were wakeboarding, skiing, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was between girlfriends at the time, but I was kind of starting to talk to somebody. And this particular person I was starting to talk to happened to be a redhead. And so I, uh, we were talking, and unsolicited, uh, Doug offers me his advice. And he says, okay, I've got two rules for dating. This guy's in his, I think at the time was in his 40s. Been married for a long time, had kids that were almost teenagers at that point. He's like, I have two rules for dating. My first rule is kiss a lot of girls. <laughs> because you don't know what someone's going to kiss like, no matter what they're like, and you don't want to be stuck with a bad kisser for the rest of your life. So kiss a lot of girls so you know what you're looking for. I did not take that advice. I had kissed three girls in my life, and my wife is one of them. <laughs> nope, four. Sorry, four. Four girls in my life, and my wife was one of them. And his second rule was don't date redheads. <laughs> and at the time, I had dated a redhead and was considering <laughs> a redhead. I did not take either of these uh, pieces of advice, and I honestly think I might have, have come out on the short end because of that. So my, my, rules that, uh, my rule that did not make it in this one specifically was don't date redheads. And to those redheads who are out there that I've dated, obviously this is good natured and I love you guys. It's not a problem. But <laughs> from my experience, it's not something I should have done at it any point. It didn't work out. It did not work out. Uh, but there was one thing that Kayla pointed out to me. She said, yeah, and the funny thing is, not long after we got married, I started dyeing my hair red. And it's true, which I don't know why that was a thing. That was not something that I uh, solicited in any way, shape, or form. But uh, even though she's a fake red, redhead, there's some quirky irony in that that we both kind of got a kick out of. But yeah, so my one that didn't make the list was don't date redheads. I still don't know what I think about kiss a lot of girls. Again, my experience was not that, so I've got nothing on that one. <laughs> anyway, but on to my actual 12, the big 12. So here we go. Um, I, there's a lot of relationship ones in this, which is interesting, but here we go. Do you... There was some bumping and thumping upstairs. Do you need to take care of anything? We can pause it. I think we'll just roll because if one of my children is actually up, they'll find me down here okay. eventually. Might have just been me. All right. We're just going to roll. We're just going to roll. Sorry, we'll everybody. See no, it's just all right. some behind the scenes. That's all right. You're going to hear that, though. That's what we do. <clears throat> okay. So rule number one of my 12 rules, and these are in no particular order, much like Sheldon's. There's a fine line 
between pursuing a relationship with someone and stalking. <laughs> you need to find that line. And this is both from someone being pursued and the person doing the pursuing. You need to find the line between stalking a person and pursuing a person. And in this particular case, I'm going to say, ladies, you need to find the line between a guy who is pursuing you and a guy who is stalking you. Yeah, I, I will say I was better at this with some of my relationships than others. Yes, so was I. Yeah. So was I. I feel bad. Like, I didn't have a lot of training. I was, what, 17? You know? Yes. If you're interested in a girl, she walks on clouds. Yes. And you just want to be with her all the time. Yes, no matter what. And you make very unreasonable, bold statements <laughs> that actually mean nothing but make total sense to you at the time. Oh, my goodness. So anyway. I'm so glad there was not cell phones back when <sighs> I was dating. I kind of I got in the middle of that. Because I imagine I would have sent some pretty pathetic texts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a whole wow. thing with that, but I'll leave that alone. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Oof. There's a fine line between pursuing and stalking. Pursuers find it. Those being pursued find it. And... Uh, don't uh, don't don't settle for someone who won't pursue you, but also don't don't try to get with somebody who's basically stalking you. Anyway, that's number one. Number two, but isn't that well? No, yeah, go for there, it. There is there is a line, but a lot of that has to do with how you feel about the person. Totally. Like, but again, in my case, my wife kept telling me that she didn't want to date me ever, but she kept telling not telling me to go away. And I told her, I said, if you tell me you want me to leave you alone, I will leave you alone. Okay, but we're never going to date. But you don't. You still want to hang out and do? Yeah. Okay. When you tell me to go away, I'll go away. But she never did. And now we're married and we're working on our third kid at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yes, that was number one. Number two, my rule number two, and this is a big one for me, is read everything. Um, I read am, everything. Read everything. I am of the opinion that if we taught basic math and made sure kids read, were well-read, we would not have to do anything else for them education-wise. That, that, would, that would push them to pursue the things they need to pursue without having to worry about all this extra stuff that we just want to pat ourselves on the back with uh, that nobody cares about until they get into college anyway. So I'm all about it. And plus, there's a couple of perspectives that this comes from. I have, I have stated before that I'm one who has heard all kinds of different things. We talked about this a little bit on our uh, Satanic Panic episode where I would hear so many things about different, you know, whether it was Harry Potter or some of these things. And I finally hit a point where I'm like, I'm just going to read these things because everybody's telling me all these things and I know they've never picked one of them up and I know they've never read any of them. They're going off of what they've heard other people say that's been passed down. And so I find that when you actually read a thing, it, it gets a lot smaller than what people make it out to be one way or the other. So I'm a big proponent of if you hear about something controversial, and I'm not talking about something that's just filthy, you know, you don't need to, yeah. you know, everybody knew what Fifty Shades of Grey was. There was no point to reading that. Um, yeah. But for the, for the most part, I would say just read everything. Everything you can get your hands on, uh, everything that people are telling you you should be worried about, um, read people you disagree with, especially. Yeah, I think read people you disagree with is, is something that a lot of us could, yeah. that, that would grow a lot of people's perspectives. So that's number two, but that's probably one of my top, my top things. Just read. It's just short of talking with people that you disagree with. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, 
So number three, and this is one that I've had to learn the hard way in my own life, is don't be right, be humble. Um, there's nothing wrong with being right. And I'm not saying that you should avoid situations where you are correct about something. But I am, I'm one who I, I can be so adamant about how right I am that I will lose all moral high ground in being right. Yeah. And I suddenly become wrong, not in that my facts are incorrect, but in that the way I am presenting my rightness is completely negating the fact that I'm right. I, I had a similar rule that I adopted when I was probably 18, and that is don't debate somebody that has the gift of compassion. Yes. And oh, because yes. compassion is their number one thing. And probably the reason they are taking this stance they are is because they have a compassionate like heart tie to the situation. And if I'm coming in with like cold hard facts and brute force in a debate because I want to win, yeah. like they're gonna be like, but you're so mean. Right. Like, and there's a time and a place and for like, that. And I'm like, that is not it. I need to not debate compassion people yes. ever. Like, not. I'm not saying you like we should all be compassionate. Right. But I'm saying if your like gift is compassion, that's the way you view the world. Right. You're not a debater, and mm -hmm. I should not be debating. No. You. And if anything, a person that is has a gift of compassion should actually be spurring us to do more than we are, even if we don't do everything they want us to do. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Is is to push the envelope in a good way. Yeah, totally. And totally. I've grown a lot by that, by listening to compassion people and debating logic people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I have a little anecdote about this that I want okay. to tell, and it has to do with Mr. Rogers. I, ever since the trailer for the new film with um, Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers uh, has, has been released, I've gotten super nostalgic. Plus, my son has started watching Daniel Tiger, which is also connected to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I grew up on that, and so I'm, I'm just having all these little feels from that. But it, it reminded me of a story, and I actually looked it up to make sure I'm getting some of the, uh, some of the facts right. So in, in the 1980s, I think it was like 82 or 83, somewhere in there. So right around when we discovered America, um, being Sheldon and I. I discovered Canada. Yeah, you discovered Canada. No, That's okay. right. You just, we discovered North America. How about that? <laughs> there you we go. can go with that. Um, Burger King was in big competition with, with McDonald's at the time. Obviously, they still are, but it, it's not as intense as it once was. And they hired a Mr. Rogers impersonator that was apparently so good that somebody who wrote the show for Mr. Rogers thought it was Fred Rogers, like, but couldn't figure it out because Fred Rogers was a vegetarian for moral and health reasons, and never shot a commercial in his entire life, would not do it, thought it was explo exploitive, exploitive, sorry, he wouldn't do it, just refused. But he was just like, this is Fred. And so it was so spot on that he was convinced of that. So, of course, it gets around to Fred Rogers, and at the time, he's, he's a big deal. You know, I mean, he was a big deal. The 80s was like kind of his peak of what he was doing, and he was one of those oddly powerful men in that he never wielded any power, but he had a lot. Um, if you ever want to look at some of the times he went before Congress and lobbied for things that basically he ended up single-handedly getting because he went yeah. and lobbied for them, uh, dude had a lot of power, but he didn't, he didn't wield it at all. So he finds out about this, and of course he's got lawyers around him, hey, you need to sue, you need to do this, they're, they're unlawfully using your image, they're, they're presenting you know, something as, as you endorsing it, and you're not, like, you can sue them. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. So he calls up Don Dempsey, who is the senior vice president of marketing for 
Burger King. And he just calls him on a Thursday and, you know, kind of does an introduction. Hey, this is Fred Rogers. You know, I saw this commercial. And he doesn't light into the guy. He doesn't talk about how he's going to sue them if they don't stop airing this commercial. He doesn't even tell them they have to stop airing the commercial. He talks to him for an hour. And they're going back and forth talking about their children and talking about how important it is to not exploit children and how important it is to respect the fact that they're growing and developing and to use something like that is very, very nefarious to, to exploit, to get them to you know, try to latch onto a product. Never said anything about the commercial in specific. They just talked. And within 72 hours, uh, Dempsey had called their marketing team and said, hey, I want you to pull all of these ads. I want every single tape. I want the master, and I want to destroy them all. And he just pulled them. Wow. Fred never asked him to take it off, but <clears throat> just in speaking with the man and him actually talking about the heart of what he was trying to do, he just said, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not willing to do this, and, and pulled it. So that, I think, is a classic and great example of not being right. He was in the right. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he focused more on being humble and coming at it from really the, the heart of the issue. Yeah. And that made a total difference in how it was received. I'm, I mean, for crying out loud, there, may still, there would still be maybe litigation between Fred Rogers Estate and, and Burger King if, if it, had gone, oh, yeah. it had gone the other way. But anyway, so don't be right. Be humble. Be correct, yes, but be more focused on being humble. Yeah, and that is, that is just prizing the relationship over the argument. Yeah. Once, a, once you realize that the relationship is at risk because yep. of this argument... There's very few arguments that are worth the relationship. Yes. Yes, yes. Number four, don't ever be the best or smartest person in the room. <laughs> and there's a couple of things with this as well. I, I mean that in a literal sense. If you can help it, if it has anything to do with you, don't ever be the smartest person in the room because you have stopped growing if you are the smartest or best person in the room. There has to be somebody who is inspiring you to aspire to something greater. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you have stopped and you're stagnant and you're only going to be moving backwards from there. But also, don't ever go into a room assuming you're the best, smartest at anything because you're not. You're going to find something, whether it's a small thing or whether it's a big thing, that the people that you are in the room with do better than you. And you need to always go in with that approach. Yeah. Um, and, and it will serve you well to have that approach, it will serve the other person well because it will be honoring to them and what they're capable of. Oh, yeah. Um, so never, ever, as far as it has to do with you, don't ever be the best or smartest person in the room. And don't ever brag about being the best or smartest person in the room because you have automatically forfeited any title that you might have had. Nobody wants to be by that doing guy. So, yes. Nobody, nobody is that guy or girl. Just, just don't be that. So, yeah. Never be the smartest or best in the room. That's like my uh, nobody is that great. But a yes. better way of saying it. Yes. Yes. Um, number five, every gun is loaded. <laughs> yes. And again, this is true. This, this is one of the, the three, you know, the three rules of, of, of gun usage. But I take it a step further in that I don't just say treat every gun as if it's loaded. Every gun is loaded. And I actually abide by this in my house. And the reason I do is because Louis L'Amour, who is a fabulous writer, um, and by fabulous I mean it's cheap thrills writing, but boy is it good. Uh, he wrote like you know your your paperback uh, 
Western novels. He was like the quintessential author of those of that genre. A lot of good stuff has come from uh, from what he did, movies and different things like that. But he had a a bit in there where a, a man is talking to a younger boy about um, firearm usage, and he tells the kid he the guy the kid asks him, "Hey, can I can I take a look at your rifle?" And he and he pops it open, unloads it, and hands it to the kid. And he said, "You kept it loaded, and it was just sitting in a in a corner." And he said, "Yeah." He said, people are only ever harmed with guns that they think are not loaded. If you're a man who always keeps your gun loaded, people will know it's yours and say, no, that's so-and-so's gun, and it's always loaded and always treated as such. So I have adopted that policy. Every gun is always loaded. Um, it, it, it saves a lot of heartache, I think, to do so. Um, I'm not talking one in the chamber or anything like that that's actually stupidly dangerous, but I have a magazine and everything that I own, and it's it's ready to go at a moment's notice, and anyone who's been in my house basically knows that. So every gun is loaded, both in theory and in practical, in my house. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> Number six, no good has ever come of the phrase, we need to talk. <laughs> and I mean Never. Now, yeah. there, are, there are variations of this phrase that are okay. If someone comes to you and said, hey, I want to talk to you, that one's okay because that's just very innocuous. It's just initiating. But when someone comes up and says, we need to talk, the hammer is about to fall. You are either about to, to – you're about to have something devastating happen to you one way or the other. That phrase has never been followed by something good. And I defy anyone to tell me I'm wrong on that. I know that that gets away from my don't be right, be humble, but I promise you nothing good has ever come of that exact phrase. We need to well, talk. Well, it doesn't accomplish its stated, like, the reason you would say that is you're trying to get somebody's attention and you want to bring them into a place where you can talk privately yeah. to t- deliver some sort of news. Yes. But you're saying it in a polite way. We all know what you mean. There is no veneer nope. to it, even though you may think, yeah. Yeah. It's just bad. It's bad times for everyone. It used to be a thing for me that when somebody says, do you have a minute? That was kind <laughs> of the same thing. Yeah. Now, I currently have a boss that has said some very good things after, hey, do you have a minute? And he just wants you to look over something yeah, and like totally. give your opinion totally and, like share something with you and like work on a project together that type of thing yeah good yeah, yeah. good but i've n- until until probably the last couple years i've never associated anything good with that yeah. phrase either it may change a little bit with a spouse yeah because well, there's 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 a well, i thought that we need to talk thing woof <laughs> That's immediately what I thought of would yeah, be like your spouse. That's, it's that's like, true. crap, did I blow the budget out? <laughs> did you break the car? Yeah. Did <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. just not, it's not great. It's is not the great. dog dead? I, everybody, everybody gets sweaty <laughs> when that phrase is used. Nobody likes it, but yet we still continue to do it because it's just a weird out this for us. This is something I was thinking of the other day. What was always so bad about going to the principal's office? That was like the worst thing ever. What actually happens there? Nothing. They everybody, sit you down. The principal doesn't want to do anything. Yeah, everybody thought their principal was terrifying. I, I don't really know anybody who thought, oh, yeah, our principal was just such a great... No, they, they were afraid of their oh, principal. Oh, my high school principal was a great guy. Oh. I really did like him. Is that because you spent so much time with him? No. It was because <laughs> he was my dad's shop teacher when my dad was in school, so he knew my dad, and my dad always would use it like, 
if you do anything at school, me and Mr. Reed will have a talk and your life will be just awful no matter where you go. And I'm like, well, I got to know Mr. Reed and he was a great guy and I could walk into his office anytime and just be like, hey, what's up? And it was great. So I, yeah, he liked me. I liked him. High school was fine, but I remember in elementary school, that was terrifying. It was like, yeah. you'll get sent to the principal's office. Yeah. What was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I only had two principals, and I don't remember their names, but I remember what they looked like. I could I could describe them in detail. And there was something scary about the first one and weird and soft and teddy bearish about the second one. But there were yeah. always still rumors about, you know, hey, corporal punishment's allowed here, and there's paddling, and yeah. there's whatever... But I never witnessed anything. I never actually knew anybody that happened to, but there was always the rumor that it was a thing. So, yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> um, number seven. Number seven. And this is a big life philosophy one for me. You never go down alone. Um, this has kept me out of so much trouble in my life uh, because I'm constantly reminding myself. And it really started when I started having nieces and nephews because I would look at this little innocent little baby and I would think to myself this person is going to look actually it started with my my first nephew Dylan and thinking when he was five years old like this person is going to look up to me and whether I succeed or fail whether in my faith or anything that I'm doing it's going to affect him it's going to automatically affect his life and that's not like putting an extra burden or like guilt on yourself but there have been so many times where I've gone to do something or thought about saying something, and that face has gone through my mind, and that and that phrase as well. Like you never go down alone, and I've been able to just walk away and say, like, no, this this is not worth that. This is not right. worth that person to me. This is not. And of course, that's developed more, you know, as I've gotten married, and now as I have my own children, it's intensified. Um, but just that idea that if I go down, if I if I were to have some sort of moral failure, if I were to have some sort of ethical dilemma. I am going to take people down with me and people that I love and people that I genuinely care about. And not only that, there are people who are looking up to me that I don't even realize are looking up to me, yeah. that it would have an effect on, being that I'm in ministry and, and, and in very public uh, ministry at that. So that is a, just a constant for me. I'm always trying to remind myself of that. It, it's, it's proved a very um, real and tangible check and balance on a lot of things in my life. When you first said it, I thought about, like, my brothers and sisters as we were growing up, I never wanted to go down alone. So I would drag everybody down with me. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like, well, I'm getting in trouble. You are getting in trouble too. <laughs> well, I was, I was always Who's fighting out here. We all are. I was always the instigator <laughs> when I was growing up. Right. I would, I would start something and I would back out and kind of watch it happen just as my parents were coming to discover what it was. Right. And, I didn't think of it as nefariously as it actually was at the time. I mean, looking back on it, I was like, no, that was pretty crappy and sneaky of me. You never, you never go down alone. So like when my, my parents would line us all up and be like, now who did this? Uh-huh. Or you're all getting punished. Yeah. And I'm like, no way I'm letting that out. <laughs> Y'all can suffer. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, that was not enough to break me. Why should I let these four other suckers off the so hook? So your adaptation is... Don't ever go down alone. Don't ever go down alone. <laughs> if you're going down alone, take as many people with you. That way you have somebody to commiserate with. Oh, man. No. That's, that's immediately what went through my head. 
<laughs> oh my. That that was always my thing though. Like when I was getting into trouble in elementary school, I would always be thinking of how many people can I drag into this? Oh, like how many people can I get on board with this? Because see, and if you we were, spread you the were, punishment out, yeah. they can't punish. But you were the, the same thing you as Area 51. <laughs> they can't shoot can't all shoot of us. us. Can't shoot they us won't all. kill all of us. They see, can't expel the entire fifth grade if but we all do so. Do but you are one of those weird instigators that you also lead the charge. Yeah. I've never seen that in a person before you. I've seen instigators who get things started like I did and watch it unfold. They're like the little manipulator puppet master behind the whole thing. I've never seen anybody who's like, let's go do this and then be the the tip of the spear. You got to think about it. Like if you have an entire fifth grade class that does something together, (laughs) they don't close the school down and just expel the fifth grade. I totally get it. What are they going to do? They're going to dock all your grades. So that teacher's going to look worse? No, they're not going (laughs) to affect your grades. They're not going to send you all home. They can't expel you all. I I will say that my, the girl that I was dating in high school, when I went to her senior, to her graduation, and they every person that spoke, every single one of the students who spoke, kind of had this, this kind of attitude with everybody, like, oh, they didn't know what to do with us. They thought we were going to be this, that, and the other. We were, a, we were, they were anticipating horrible things from us. And look what we've done. Look what we've done. I'm like, this is a weird thing to hear at a high school graduation. So I asked her about it afterwards. She's like, oh yeah. She's like, when our freshman class came in, they had an assembly and sat the entire class down. And literally gave us a lecture that basically consisted of, we've heard about you from the junior high. We've heard about all these things that you are and what you've done. And we don't know what we're going to do with you. And we don't expect you guys to succeed at all. Now, I don't know if this is horrifying or if it was brilliant. Because, of course, they're like, okay, screw you guys. We're going to prove you wrong on this one. Um, And that's what they did. But I was like, who does that? Like, who sits down an entire incoming class and is like, hey, we hear you guys suck and we believe it. Like, that's... That's something else. So a real-life example of this, uh, there was a choir concert that we were all supposed to go to in seventh grade, I think. <laughs> and me and two or three, I think it was three of my friends, no, it was me and two other guys, had made the music teacher's life so rough that he was like, you three are not allowed to go to this <laughs> thing. I didn't care about going to that thing at all. But what I did care about is all of us sticking together. And he was super mad at us. And the one time he just went off in class and was like, no, you're not going. (coughs) So he had the sign-up sheet there. And he's like, all right, so we need you guys to sign up soon. So here's the sign-up sheet. I'm going to pass it around. These three guys are not going. (laughs) And, like, everybody else sign up. He passed it around. He got it back. There was not one name on the sign-up sheet. He lectured the entire class, (laughs) got red in the face, shouted at us, passed it around. Not one name again. He walked out of the room, and you could hear him counting down from 10 in the (laughs) other room. (coughs) And I, we were dying. He comes back in, and he's like, okay, fine. Those three guys, they can go. I just... I can't handle this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and he passed the sign-up sheet around. We all signed up. Oh, my God. And he Lord. lost it. He, we didn't learn anything else the rest of the class. <laughs> he just basically was like, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Craziest thing about that choir concert, we went to it, and it was a whole bunch of, like, uh, junior high-aged Mennonite high schools, or yes. Mennonite elementary schools. Yeah. And Jess was currently going to a private uh 
school in Lake up in the Hartville area, and they drove in for this choir concert, and they were at this thing. They were at this choir concert, so my future wife was there. We were, we were all in the same auditorium together with all these different schools. And so later, uh, we were married, and I started singing this goofy song. And she's like, wait, how do you know that song? <laughs> and I'm like, I can sing you the whole thing. It was at this choir concert. She's like, yeah, I was there. And I'm like, this is too weird. <laughs> oh, my and word. And she says... And you guys didn't meet said, at that. But there was a whole bunch of boys in the back of this thing at one point. Started uh... this, like, boom, boom, ksh. Boom, boom. And she's like, and the, and the instructor lady was getting so mad. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was totally me. And it was because you have all those kids and they're on these huge risers. Of course. Just, just tons of kids. You got to try it. And this one lady down there is there screaming at us that we're not doing something right. We need to be singing these notes. And I'm like, forget lady you can't come all the way up here and find me i'm i'm 10 stories up back here so like she's lecturing all of us and in the middle of her thing we just started stopping doom 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 and it caught on and she could not talk anymore she just stood up there and flapped her arms (laughs) and it was hilarious and oh. Jess remembers being mortified, like, these guys are all going to get in trouble. I'm like, what is the logic here? Who is she sending all the way up? Like, till you got through all the kids, I'd disappear in the crowd. You'd never <laughs> find me. You, you were just a horrifying individual at this stage of life. I mean, just really. Thank goodness the Lord turned my life around. Hallelujah. And the public school system had real discipline. <laughs> that was part of it. Oh, man. Now my face hurts from that one. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I derailed this one. Oh, but never great. go down alone. You never go down alone. Both, both in a yes. negative what I, sense. What I'm saying is different than what Sheldon is yes. saying. Don't Sheldon's be version devious, is different. But it is a real life truth. <laughs> Nates have all been very serious and very good life advice. I, I have I have trouble, but I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in trouble. I know I'm gonna get in trouble with go. this next one. Let's I know go. I am. Okay. Rule <laughs> Rule for Life number eight. MLMs are a terrible idea. For the folks at home, what is that? Multi-level <laughs> marketing. So, Amway, essential oils, uh, Plexus. Oils. Yeah, non-essential oils. Uh, <laughs> Plexus, 31 bags. I mean, Avon, uh, all, those, the, all those yeah. things. Yeah. Any, anything where you can become a consultant or a thing above other people and you were trying to get other people At to first, sign up there's no one you. under you and the only way to get people under you yes. is to go sign up more people now no the way to get people under you is to start a company work right. until they are handing out manager positions and then you right. apply for it you interview so let me let me bring a little bit of clarity to what i'm saying here i know there are some <laughs> multi-level marketing companies that have legitimate products right i know that's true I've My grandpa sold them. Conklin for years. Yeah, so I'm I know that I know this. they exist. Yeah. However, the business model is not one. The business model is essentially a Ponzi scheme for those at the top to make a ton of money. If you are not in on the ground floor, and not somebody telling you you're going to be in on the ground floor, if you are not literally one of the ten to twenty people who are coming up with the initial product, and get, you are not going to make money. There's like 
0.2% of people who actually make money off of MLMs, and you ain't going to be it. It's like winning the lottery. Multi-level level marketing schemes are absolutely schemes. There is no way around it. It is not illegal, but it ain't, it ain't, it ain't helpful. It ain't going to be good for you. So please, if you want to sign up for a multi-level level marketing thing just to get the product, awesome. I get that. But please do not let anyone tell you that you are going to become financially independent based on selling bags or makeup or essential oils because you will not unless you give up everything else in your life to make there it happen. There is there, a, there there is a are, much higher cost to that than any other there model. There are people that can, but you have to turn over all of your social media. You everything. have to make your free time about this. Yes. Like, yeah. And you have to sell other people on doing the same. Yeah. So multi-level marketing, <laughs> any multi-level marketing, it's just a bad idea. It's a bad idea. It's a terrible, terrible structure. Just, just don't. No yeah. criticism to the products themselves. Just don't. I discussed this with mine. I have no love for the entire thing. If you ever want an interesting read, go look up why it's called a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> and the, the actual Ponzi behind yes. the Ponzi scheme. Yes, it yes. Was, it's a fantastic story. Yes. But it's, it's, it's horrifying. Anyway, so yeah, MLMs are a terrible idea. Just don't. Um, number nine is go to counseling. I've talked yeah. about it before, but it's a big one. Go to counseling. No matter how good a marriage is, no matter how good your life is, you will no benefit. No matter how much of a man you are. Yes. You will benefit so incredibly from sitting down in a room with a neutral third party who is willing to tell you how you are actually the one screwing up because we don't have enough of that in our lives anymore. We, we tend to shun the advice of our parents who could tell us that legitimately. We tend to avoid the conflicts that we need to have in marriages or in other relationships. Going to counseling and making an effort to, it's just like routine maintenance on a car. It's not like you have to have everything blowing up or, or things falling apart. The car could be running great, but you just take it in for oil changes. You take it in for you know, fluid replacements, belt replacements. It's the same kind of thing. Just do it. And especially if you have a spouse who wants to do it. If you can look your spouse in the face and tell them no when they say they want to go to counseling, you are a moron. You are the problem. You are the problem. And I don't care how long you've been married, how short you've been married. If they come to you and say, we need to do this, the answer is always yes, period. Always yes. You can debate about who you're going to go see, but the answer is always that, going to that be yes. That would have been my one caveat. Go to good counseling. Yes, yes. There, there are some out there that are not as helpful as others. No, and, so. and I, would, I would recommend Christian counselors uh, specifically for uh, those who are uh, of the faith, and even those who aren't, I would actually still recommend that. But... Uh, yeah, go to counseling. Uh, there's, there is no stigma. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, you're less stupid if you go to it. And I say that as a person who it wasn't on my radar at all until my wife said, hey, I think we should do this. I'm like, okay, yes. Because I saw my parents' marriage blow up and hit the fan with no hope in sight. And I was like, yeah, I had determined before I even started seriously dating that that was going to be a core principle of my life and it has served me counseling is really good yes and and don't do it with a relative no no go go with somebody who who you can have real conversation authority yeah go with somebody that can look at you and tell you the truth yeah you know and and not 
not just, you know, your brother-in-law or yeah. something. And by authority, we don't mean like a pastor necessarily, but somebody who's been married and has a healthy marriage for a good while. Yeah, somebody that has some backing to what they yes. say is what I'm basically Able saying. Able to like, speak from authority, yeah. not the vestige of authority that we think of it as. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, good get, counseling. Get to, get to good counseling and people that say, oh, it's too expensive. You know what's expensive, moron? A divorce. Yes. Yes, You know it what's is. expensive? Like having to drive to see your own children. Mm-hmm. And it's not worth it. Not at all. So, yeah, uh, do counseling. Yes. And kind of related to this one is rule number 10. It's never as good as you remember. That is true. It doesn't matter what it is. That's my entire childhood. It doesn't matter (laughs) what it is. It's just never as good as you remember. And this has a a bit of a warning to it. If you have something that is very nostalgic and that you loved, don't go back to it until you maybe have children (laughs) and can have them experience this. Because you will be disappointed. Yeah. Um, I, I have purchased, I actually don't think, I think I actually got rid of it now, but I purchased out of a $5 bin the movie The NeverEnding Story. I loved that movie as a kid. I mean, loved it. And I just could never bring myself to watch it because even looking at the back of it and seeing some of the, the production stills that were on the back, I'm like, this is not going to hold up well. <laughs> just from looking at that, I'm like, this will not hold up well and I will be sad. But I thought, I'm going to hang on to this. And I think we finally purged it from our most recent video purge. But I held on to it for years. Did not open it. Did not watch it. And we have finally gotten rid of it. Um, Fazoli's was another experience like that. Yeah. When I was in high school, man, Fazoli's was the best thing in the world. They give you those free roll or those free breadsticks. And everybody's like, oh, this is just as good as Olive Garden. Or this is just as good as Macaroni Grill. You know, whatever. Because we were teenagers and we had no money. It is the Taco Bell of Italian food except it's worse. And we went to one, my wife and I, since we've been married, and we did it the dirtiest way possible. We literally went through the drive-thru and sat in our car in a mall parking lot and ate Fazoli's. It was terrible. It was awful. We felt like garbage afterwards, and we were both so sad because we loved it growing up. We loved it when we were in high school, and there was a great distance between when I was in high school and she was in high school, but we were both severely disappointed by yeah. Fazoli's, uh, even in the breadsticks, they were, they were just terrible. Um, this goes for relationships in the past. This goes for literally everything. It's never as good as you remember. <laughs> I was trying to watch Power Rangers with my son once when when he was much smaller even than he is now, just because I figured all the stuff would entertain him. And I remembered it being awesome because as a kid I wasn't allowed to watch it, but you know I would watch it anyway. I would sneak, yeah. you know, I knew when it was on, I knew the schedules, and I would watch it. Uh, Guys who are younger, back in the day, you actually had to go to a television and watch things at a certain time of day uh, because that's when the show was on. And if you were lucky, there were several of those shows in a row that you could watch. But then once it was over, it was over, and you had to catch it while it was yeah. on TV. So you had to catch Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. Not just Animaniacs, yeah. but we were there for Pinky and the yes, Brain. that's and right. So there was only like 15 minutes. That that's was right. it. That's right. Um, but I was watching it with him, and I'm and again, I love this girl. I'm watching I'm like, this is awful. It was just so bad. So much so that I'm like, this is stupid enough that I don't want my child watching it. And I loved it growing up. 
but I'm, I'm not going to We were watching Animaniacs the other day, and I'm like, half of these jokes are going clear over my kid's head <laughs> because they're referencing, like, 90s oh, yeah. pop culture oh, and, yeah. not like, to mention, Bill Clinton and Yeah, all not to that. mention the jokes that you didn't get as a kid because they were yeah. meant for the parents. And now I'm getting all of those, and yeah. I'm like, this is hilarious to me. Yeah. But I still but love my Animaniacs. Kids, my kids love Homestar Runner. That's yes. the one that has Just held up pretty held up. well. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, and, uh, but again, there's there's therein lies the thing where if you get to experience something through your children's eyes again, then it can be fun again, then it can be great again. But don't go back to it until then, until right. you have a child to experience it with and to kind of go through that nostalgia with. Don't do it; you'll be sad, and it's it never will, as good as you remember. Yeah, you'll it. end up with Hagen Doss and sadness <laughs> because of that. That'll just be the thing. So it's never as good as you remember. Whatever it is, um, Kayla and I were talking about that recently. I said if we went back. And I, as myself now, met you as you were when we got married. I'm like, I don't know that we would have gotten married. And oh, yeah. if we went back and you as you are now met me as I was then, I don't think you'd want to marry me either. Was it you on the last podcast that we were talking about you're married to four different people? No, but I'm okay. curious about this. Okay, so everybody, somebody told me that, and I've, I've been thinking about this, you're married to four different people during your lifetime. Sometimes... Those for some people, those are four different people. Yes, <laughs> but for somebody that stays married to the same person, you are genuinely married to four different people throughout your life. Like the the me that I am now is totally different yeah. than the twenty one year old kid totally. that got married to Jess. Like the guy that she fell in love with is not the me today. Right. Like. In some ways, it's a lot better. In some ways, there's some things that have changed and that have gotten lost along the way. In some ways, it's been really, really good. Yeah. Same thing for her. Like, I and I tell her, I'm like, I love you more today than at any point in our marriage. Like, and it's that's true. true. Yeah. But she's a different person. Yep. Her music tastes are completely different. She no longer listens to country music at all. It's totally changed. That's a salvation like, issue right there. Well, and I used to. <laughs> I used to like. I can. I listen to country music for like a five-year time span, and I know all those songs. I don't know anything outside of it. <laughs> it's really weird. And and so, like, she was a different person. She dresses different. Uh, the car that she drives is different. Her music is different. She does her hair different. It's, yeah. just, it's totally different. And I'm like, this is a different person that I'm now married to. We've been married 14 years, so yeah. I'm on my second person. So, so what are the what are the four? They didn't define four? it any more okay. than that, but there's just four different people. I was curious. And I'm like, yeah, probably by the time we're like 55, yeah, it's probably going to be a totally different person. Yeah. Like our house is going to be totally decorated differently. Like yeah. We're going to have a different schedule than we currently do. Totally. All of that. We'll probably enjoy different restaurants like Fazoli's. Mm. That Fazoli's was something that our 20, 21-year-old selves loved. Oh, yeah. Us too. Yeah. And and like CeCe's and all oh, of that. Ooh. Yeah. No, I, was, I, I had outgrown that by the time it was here. Oh, I never, no. I never wanted that. But again, Skyline Chili. Skyline Chili is the one exception to that rule. It's always as good as you remember. It just Skyline always is. Chili looks disgusting. Oh, it's so good. It's the best dirty food in the world. It's so wonderful. And you will experience we'll it soon. We'll test this theory. You will experience it soon. Okay. Last two here. Rule number 11. Break up clean. And what I mean yeah. by that is when you break up with someone. This is for guys and girls. Yes. Cut its head off. Be done, done, done. 
Don't, There's no easy way to do this. No. Justin and I were just talking about this today, no. and Jess is like, but it's so hard when you're standing there and the yes. boy is crying. And I'm like, yep, yeah. that's really hard. I, I know this because I always sucked at it. I was terrible at it. I I would just let relationships linger beyond when they should have because I was waiting for the right moment. I was waiting for the right circumstances that were never going to come, but I just kept convincing myself that, oh, no, this thing will happen, and then I'll be able to have a nice segue, and we'll all be... You're not going to be friends afterwards. You're not going to like hanging out with each other, maybe much later, but in the initial, you're not going to just break up clean, give each other space, let it die, and move on. Break up clean. Everyone will be happier. Everyone will be more settled. Everyone will be, have a more fulfilled life. Don't just keep sawing at no. it with a dull knife. Get no. that big that big chopper knife yes. out of the butcher block and yes. slam it down. Slam it down. Cut it and off. Be like, break up clean. We were a thing. Yeah. That's no longer the case. Yeah. yeah. Break up clean. All right. And number 12. And my favorite rule on this list. All right. Thinking is greater than feeling. Now, okay. let, me bring, let me bring some clarity here. Feelings are absolutely valid. I will never, ever invalidate someone's feelings because feelings and emotions are absolutely real. They are things that have legitimate effects on us. They are things that, have, uh, that legitimately motivate us. I get that. Feelings are very, very real. However, thinking is greater than what you feel because feelings will lie to you. You will feel something in a given moment that is based on your assumption about what another person is saying or doing, about your own past hurts that this person may have nothing to do. I was recently talking with somebody, and, and they were, we were just talking about a, a bunch of things that they had been struggling with for years. And I looked at them, I said, you realize, I said, everything that you're saying has been a struggle, and there's been a constant, like, continuing thread. For everybody that's involved with that except you, those are isolated incidents. For you, it's a pile of everything on top of itself. But for everybody else, they're just isolated incidents and, they, incidents and they don't see why they would be a problem. But for you, it's been a pile. And that's legitimate. And I, and I told this person, I said, no, that's absolutely legitimate that you feel that way, but that's not what's actually happening. So feelings are valid, but they will lie to you. Many of our life experiences will, will have you react to things in certain ways that aren't realistic. I've had to apologize to my wife multiple times because I've responded. Oh, no, I've reacted to something instead of responding. And I have to come back and say, like, hey, you know, the reason I actually did that was because when I was 12, this thing happened. And I've always had a sore spot about that. And I just never really realized it until now. So I wasn't mad at you. And I reacted to you as if you had done something wrong and you hadn't done anything wrong. Thinking is more important because that is foundational. You can always go back to the zero of what do I actually think about this? And that's one of the things I'm trying really hard to instill in my children is I want to ask the separate questions of how do you feel and what do you think? Because I want to teach them that, yes, what you feel is important. Yes, what you feel is valid. But it's also more important what you think because that's what's going to reset you and bring you back to zero and allow you to move forward in a healthy way. Um, feelings are real, feelings are legitimate, but they are never, ever greater than thinking. Hmm. Because I believe that your thoughts can also lie to you, too. It's you, true. You can get mixed up in a train of thought that is not... It's true. That is not productive. And often, <laughs> the way you're what, you're... what you're describing, how somebody 
has random experiences that they all put together in a string and they're like, this is just the continuum of my life. Yeah. And this always happens to me. And these people always do this. That's a train of thought too. Granted. And that's, that's like a pattern that's deeply embedded in your totally. thoughts. And, it, and it, you, you are feeling it. But then when you encounter a situation, you're also thinking wrongly. Right. 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 Based on, based on, in a lot of ways, the emotional level, yeah. the emotional muscle memory of something. So, so when I'm talking thinking, I'm not just talking train of thought. I mean, like looking at something and holding it up and saying, "Okay, yeah, this is what I know to be true about the world," even though this is not what I feel. I feel this way, yeah, but this is not what actually happens in life. So this is where we're at. That's what I'm talking about. Is is the the logic of it, not yeah. necessarily the weird careening paths that our emotions will th- send our thoughts into. But returning to a place of zero is like, this is what I actually think. This is what I actually know. And again, I know they do get tangled up with each other. But I think the one, if, if the one wins out, if thinking wins out, I think you end up on a better, in a better, more stable plane than if you're always on the feeling side. And feelings are great. I got no problem. I got no beef with feelings. But think. Think as well. Jess was uh, referencing a Bible verse that she ran across that says, uh, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea. The surface can be, the surface of the water can have all these waves and back and forth, and those can be very dangerous. They're, they can be very uh, real. But if you can get below the surface so you can judge correctly, that she's like, that, that has been very, very helpful for her just as she thinks through stuff. Okay. This is the surface. This is how we feel. This is what we see. This is what we know. This is what makes me want to react. Let's try and get below the surface so we can judge correctly. Yes. And I think that's like gaining good judgment, gaining wisdom is not always being a slave to your feelings. Right. Yeah. Right. If you're, if you're a slave to your feelings, you need something that anchors you that goes down below the surface to something solid. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, yeah. That's, that's there basically, you go. I, I do have one thing I want to add and I mentioned this to Sheldon at the beginning. This has <laughs> nothing to do with anything, but I feel like I have to say it just cause I'm so entertained by it. I'm going to call this my favorite thing currently. This may be a random thing that we start doing. Here's, here's some of my favorite things. And my current <laughs> favorite thing is recently I was reading an article, and I'm sure many of you who are on Twitter and different things have seen this, but that presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, who is a admitted democratic socialist who has been pushing forever for people to make, as he would say, a living wage uh, of specifically a minimum wage of $15 per hour. It has been revealed that he does not pay his staffers for his campaign. Not all of them. Not all of them. That so-called minimum wage, minimum living wage of $15 per hour. And what's great is he's a big proponent of unions, so they are unionized. Yes. And so they have uh, done what unions do, and they have raised a stink about this fact because they hear what the man is saying, and they know what they're getting, and it has become public. And my favorite part of this favorite thing is that he said, okay, everyone makes $15 an hour, but we're cutting your hours. (laughs) And this man who is... An avowed democratic socialist, maybe not even democratic, just a straight socialist, is proving the point of why his system does not work. It's almost as if raising the minimum wage does not put 
more money in the pockets of the people doing the work, what it does is your employer is only going to pay so much in staff salaries. Yes. So much a percent of their income is going to go to staff salaries. If it grows too large, business is unprofitable. Business is untenable. Or somebody needs to get weeded That's out. That's right. Somebody's hours need cut. Yes. Those types of things. So as soon as you raise the minimum wage, you you lose the entry-level jobs to that industry, right. whatever it is. So the the people that are at the entry level are going to get cut. Right. They'd rather hire somebody that has experience mm-hmm. if they're going to have to pay them 15, 20, 25, $30 an hour, then you're going to want somebody that's highly qualified, has the experience and right. they'll poach them from another company. That's right. Because they have the money to do it. That's right. And if they're going to pay somebody the minimum wage of $15 an hour, you can count on working 24 hours that's that right. week because they're not going to pay you more than they're going to pay you. You want to, you, uh, yeah. Yeah. You want to so, hurt the so, lowest in the lowest income earners. Yep. Raise the minimum wage. So let me just put it this way. Bernie Sanders is not a socialist. He is absolutely a capitalist. You know, this from the millions that in he's practice. made from his book. Yeah. You know, this from the fact that he did not pay his own employees $15 an hour. And that once he did, he started cutting because he is in practice a capitalist. So my and the problem with socialism is that everyone at the top is a capitalist when they are in socialism. That is just the reality. You can see it throughout history. People get greedy. People want their things. And no matter what anybody else is doing, they will exempt themselves from it. So socialism is the worst MLM ever. So <laughs> here's, here's the funniest story about the minimum wage. Jess was working as a hostess at a restaurant. Yeah. She was talking to one of the cooks. There was a bill in Ohio to raise the minimum wage. And the cook was like, I'm they're gonna raise it to whatever it was, seven seventy-five an hour or something. Yeah. And he's like, I'm making seven sixty-five. Yeah. It's gonna raise my pay. And she's like, You're gonna vote for it? He's like, Absolutely. It'll be ten cents more an hour. <coughs> Think about this. This dude was gonna vote for a minimum wage hike. That would make him ten cents an hour more. That's an extra four dollars in his pocket every week. Yeah. Okay. That's four dollars if he works forty hours, that's which right. he probably doesn't. Right. And he works forty hours. That's four dollars. All the all the Wendy's and the McDonald's and everything in Ohio were like, if this goes, the dollar menu is gone. Yeah. They raised it. The dollar menus went away. When this guy goes to Taco Bell, how much more is he spending? All his food just went up in way more than just the 10 cents that he's getting. He cost himself tons and tons of money by voting for this. Not to mention how much of that gets taxed. Right. And I'm I'm like, this is a prime example. If you're at the bottom of this, how what you're gaining... You're totally losing because you're at you're purchasing you're purchasing the cheapest of cheap items because you're not making a lot of money. Right. And your purchasing so, power shrinks. So, yeah, what what you're able to buy with that money just goes away. There is no longer anything you can buy for a dollar that feeds you. Yeah. So you have to buy something that's $2 to feed you. Yeah. And the same thing at your supermarket because now all the farm people that were bringing those things to market at cheap prices. Now, if you're buying cheap stuff, 
you're hurt. Yep. It hurts you every time. Yep. And and people don't think about the real world cost. They're like, well, no, it, it'll be fine. I can buy more stuff. I have more money. No, you broke the whole economy. Like if there were no minimum wage, there would be so much cheap food, cheap things around. Your dollar would go so much further. Yep. There would be more jobs. There'd be more entry ways into those jobs. Those people that like come out of college with degrees and they're like, I can't find a job. There's no entry level job. Entry level jobs are gone because of wage hikes. Yeah. The minimum wage hikes. Well, and now they've got, you know, AOC and all these people are pushing uh pushing uh paid internships. As in federally mandated paid internships. Like internships will go away. Yeah. Because you just said it a minute ago, if you can hire someone with experience who knows what they're doing and pay them fifteen dollars an hour versus having to pay an intern who's just trying to get experience, yeah. you're not gonna pay that intern. It just doesn't make sense. Again, this is worth thinking. Is better than feeling. Why are internships so popular? Because it's an entry level right. job. These things, these things sound great because they feel right, but they are not. When you follow the logic, it does not work. Yeah, it harms the very people that you're talking about. That was all for free. It yes, has it nothing was. to do with twelve yes, rules. Yes, it was. Man, we've yammered on for a long time. That's here okay. Today. I'm, I'm always afraid when we do twelve rules, we're not going to get through everything we need to get through. But we've done well. We've done all right. well. All right, guys. Uh, do we have any action steps besides? Um, I'd love to see some other people's 12 rules if they've got them. Yeah, if you have 12 rules and you can come up with them, send them our way. Uh, email the things we say, the things we say at mail.com. I think that's correct. <laughs> TTWS podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook is facebook.com slash the things we say podcast. All right. So there you go. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out with us again. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.